Well, good morning. I want to welcome each and every one of you to Paradise Valley Christian Church. If you're brand new, my name is Charles Gwynn. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. If you're joining us online, thank you so much for being together as the body of Christ. And uh, we want to welcome each and every one here this morning. And again, if you are brand new, if you can fill out one of the Connect cards in the bulletin. If you didn't get one, you can grab one, fill it out, tear it off, put it in this little box out here. We have a coffee mug out in the foyer at the Hub. If you are, again, brand new or visiting for a second and third time, you haven't gotten a coffee mug, would like one, more than welcome to grab one. Also, we have Bibles. If you are someone here this morning that does not have access to a Bible, we would love to give you one if that is something that you could make good use of this morning. We are going through a series called Remember the Way. And as we go through this, Peter is reminding those that are in the body of different things. And as we've gone through some things in chapter 1, there's some things that are encouraging for us, things that we can be working on in our spiritual walks as we seek knowledge and as we grow in our faith. And then as we get into chapter 2, it's there's some warnings going on. Not only just the fact that, you know, there's false teachers in our world, but at times false teachers can come into the body of believers and begin to kind of stir things up and, and kind of cause people to head off in the wrong direction. And so as we went through chapter Part of chapter 2 last week, we were talking about different examples from the Old Testament, uh, actual historical accounts of where God's uh, judgment came on people. And the fact that uh, if we are not in Christ, if we are outside of our a relationship with God, if we are ungodly and we fall into that category, there are consequences. There is going to be punishment. And, he, and Peter lists those examples. And as we get into now verse 10 of chapter 2, again, things that are a little bit harder to look at, maybe some verses that are harder to understand. And, and so I would encourage you to, to take what we're looking at in the short period of time we have together and go home and study it out even deeper. Because, again, some of this stuff is not easy. And I would, I would pray that we would seek God's wisdom as we look into these verses. And so we're going to be in chapter 2, verse 10, down through 22. And if you don't mind and are able this morning and you would like to stand with me, we're going to read God's word. And if you can follow along in your paper Bible. So if you'll stand with me this morning, if you're able, we're going to start in verse 10 of chapter 2 of Second Peter. And again, one of my friends said, you're through Second Peter already, right? And I said, well, no, not quite. We're almost through chapter 2, uh, and chapter 3 is going to go quick as well. But uh, follow along in your Bibles uh, as we read beginning verse 10 of chapter 2. It says, this is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority. And basically, again, what Peter is saying is there's going to be punishment that takes place, especially for those who follow corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority. Continuing on, verse 10, bold and arrogant, these men are not afraid to slander celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not bring slanderous accusations against such beings in the presence of the Lord. But these men blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like brute beasts, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like beasts, they too will perish. Verse 13, they will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. 
They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, a beast without speech, who spoke with a man's voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Verse 17, these men are springs without water and mist driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for their mouth, for they mouth empty, boastful words. And by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves to de- of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. Verse 21, it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. Will you pray with me this morning? God, again, our desire is is to hear from you. That's why we're here. We're gathered in your presence, the God of the universe. God, we want to be faithful followers of you, and so my prayer is that As your word goes out, as we have just heard from you speaking to us through the writings of Peter so many years ago, that we would hear them today in ways where our ears would apply them as our minds hear them in order that our lives would be different. And God, we would desire for you again as your Holy Spirit is here with us to continue to shape us and to convict us, to chisel away at different things that need to change. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Again, some verses that are not so easy to maybe read, and hopefully we're getting an idea as we're going through 2 Peter here. Uh, But as we begin, it's this idea, and the title of the message is Sin-Loving Posers. Sin-loving posers. And again, I'm not real great with English, and growing up I thought a poser, well, that's someone that, you know, is like, Stand, you know, whoo, you know, a model, you know, that sort of thing. I, posing, right? That's a poser. And so it's someone that poses. I, that's what I thought it was. Well, actually, the, the word poser can be used in, in a, a context of someone who pretends, someone who pretends to be someone they are not, or a person who attempts to impress others. Poser can basically mean a fake, and if you're someone that follows along with comics or movies or those type of things, there's this idea of in Batman where you have one of the, the villains being Two-Face, right? If you've ever watched any of those movies or watched read comics, and, and it's the, the guy who has one face that looks normal and then one face that doesn't, and he kind of carries around a coin where he flips. And I wonder how many of us kind of fall into this Two-Faced sin-loving poser category where as we go through our week, we're like, oh, am I going to live for God today? Let's flip the coin. Heads, okay, today I am. Tomorrow I'll flip the coin again. Tails, not so much today. And I, I think about us as we go through our normal weekly routines and, and come to Sunday mornings or, or a Bible study on Wednesday nights or another night of the week. And, and those are the times when, when people are looking at us, we're, we're where we're supposed to be, we're in the Word, 
And then there's other times the rest of the week where maybe people aren't looking. And are we really real? Are we, do we really have a desire to live biblical lives every single day of the week? And I, I think about a gentleman, and I'm not, I'm not here to... Uh, to judge his heart, but it was just a guy that I ref with, and uh, I didn't enjoy being around him a ton just because every other word out of his mouth was a swear word, and he talked about the different things he did on the weekends, and that was just not a lifestyle that I uh, was at all interested in, and it didn't line up with scripture, and it was kind of one of those things where I tried to spend as least amount of time with him as possible, but I had to ref with him every once in a while, but I tried to share Jesus and, and light and, and be light into the darkness, and uh, it was really uh, shocking one day when we were all supposed to meet together as officials and he said well I can't make that meeting because I have a meeting at my church because I'm a deacon there oh man and I and the only thing that really came to my mind was would someone be shocked Charles if they heard that you had to go to a meeting at your church because again I, I wasn't there to judge him but I also know that scripture is very clear, as we read a couple weeks ago from Matthew 7, verse 20, where it says, Thus by their fruit you will recognize them. Talking about false teachers, and, and that's the reality of all of us. We're all going to be recognized by our fruit. And I wonder how many of us are sin-loving posers. Are we living fake lives like these false teachers were? And so as we begin to look at this passage of Scripture, we need to notice that Peter really focuses on the moral lifestyle, the, the sinful lifestyle that the, the false teachers are living. And not even so much their, their teachings, their doctrine, but really their lifestyle as you look here in 2 Peter. And if you get into chapter 3, which we are going to be here in the following weeks, you see that one of the main errors that are being taught, the, the false teaching that's being taught, is this idea that, that there's no second coming, that Jesus is never going to come back. He hasn't come back yet. He's never going to come back. So just live it up. You know, Just live how you want to because there's no judgment day. There's no second coming. And that's of course, is not true. And if we've, we've also mentioned the idea of false teachings when it comes to there's freedom in Christ, which there is. We, we know that. We find that in Scripture. But the false teaching that comes alongside that freedom in Christ is that, well, because you have freedom in Christ, just sin as much as you want. Indulge in the human, the, the, the fleshly nature and just go with whatever human desires come your way because you have freedom in Christ and again, we find in Scripture that's not what Scripture teaches. And so we always have to go back to God's Word. And so there's these warnings from these verses that we need to be guarding against the, the wrong theology and doctrine, but we also need to be guarding against the, the teachings that might encourage us to tolerate sin. And again, these are themes as we've been discussing through Second Peter and so my hope today is that we look at, if you're taking notes, the shocking characteristics, the deceptive methods, and the pitiful state of false teachers. The shocking characteristics, the deceptive methods, and the pitiful state of false teachers so that we don't follow right along with where they're heading, which is hell. And so I want us to each and every one of us, to, to take life application from these verses. As we look at these, 
these descriptions of false teachers, I want you to individually see like, okay, that's something, that's an area where I am maybe heading off on the wrong path on. Or this is something I need to kind of bring rain back in. And, and so I don't know what the Holy Spirit is, is talking to you specifically about, but I would like for you to be listening for that as we go through these verses. And so as we look at verse 10, again, it says, This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority. Peter says that these false teachers, they're all about the sinful nature. They're all about following that corrupt, sinful nature, and, and that should be a dead giveaway for us. If we know someone in the church, outside of the church, and we begin to talk with them, and they're all about the corrupt, sinful nature and the, that sort of lifestyle, that should be a red flag for us. Like, I don't know if what you have to sell is what I want to buy type of thing. And then 10, verse 10 goes on to say other things about them as well. Talking about, again, false teachers. They despise authority, it says. And, and again, and this is the authority of Christ. Not, we're not saying oh, they don't want to listen to their parents, which they probably don't. But they don't want to listen to Jesus. They don't want to listen to God who sent his one and only son to die on the cross for our sins that was raised in newness of life to overcome sin and death, to give us a way to come back to God. It's through that sacrifice of Jesus. They don't want to listen to that. They don't want God to be the authority in their lives. And as Christians, that's exactly where we need to be. The God of our lives should not only be our Savior, the one that's willing to save us from our sins, but he should also be our Lord, our Master. His words are to guide us in this dark, the darkness of this world that Satan has kind of set camp, camp up in. And when we die to the corrupt desires of our sinful nature, Christ's words, his promises, are to guide our path. We are to have no other guide in, in this world full of lies than the word of God. But these people despise the authority, it says, of Christ and of his words. And, and they interp interpret them differently. As we look at verse 10, Peter tells us again that they are bold and arrogant, resting authority, resisting authority, maintaining their own view over and above what is written in the word of God. These verses tell us that Christ is not their master, but that the corrupt desires of the sinful nature are their master. Their flesh takes over their thoughts and heart, and, and it leads them to engage and to promote sin. And they might mouth a few Bible verses here and there, but at the heart of who they are, Peter says that they are like brute beasts. In verse 12, brute beasts, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed, and like beasts, they too will perish. There will be consequences. And are we just giving in to our fleshly nature wherever it comes up? Like, oh, it's no big deal. That's, that's, you know, that's what my mind goes to. And instead of being like Scripture says and capturing the thoughts that are in our minds. Peter's words are harsh. Because he's serious about the reality that God takes sin seriously. And he doesn't want us to fall into that same trap. And, and the false teachers, they're doing terrible things. They're arrogant. They're defiant. In verse 13, Peter tells us that their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. 
In other words, what they do in broad daylight, others dare only to do at night in, in dark places. And as I thought through this idea of broad daylight, I thought about when we traveled the U.S. and we went to, to Las Vegas, you know, and obviously we know it's called Sin City for a reason. And so we we're like, well, we're going to stay, you know, when we go out uh, in the city, we're going to stay, go in the daylight, obviously, because at night would be a completely terrible idea. We're like, we can get by with in the daylight. And yet in broad daylight, as we're traveling with all eight of our kids at no, seven of our kids at the time, and there's things that, you know, sometimes you see inappropriate things on billboards, and you don't draw attention to them as a parent, and you just like, and if you see them looking, you're like, close your eyes, you know, we're, we're moving down the road, and, and yet in Las Vegas at the time that we were there, technology is so great at times and so terrible at times, but here are these billboards advertising inappropriate scantily dressed females on the side of billboards that were on vans and so you pull up to a stoplight and you're looking around and all of a sudden you're like whoa hey you know and there's like inappropriateness like right now like like boys close your eyes girls you know and we're like close your eyes and we're like okay we're gonna get we gotta get past this and we go to the next light and, we're like, and pretty soon sure there's the van again we're like can we go open our eyes up and like no we're not seeing any of las vegas you know it's just like in broad daylight there's stuff going on all around us and Peter says in verse 13, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. Meaning that they, they show up among the children of God, acting as if they belong to the church. And then Peter says, with eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They, they seduce the unstable, and they're experts in greed and a cursed brood from verse 14 there. They're full of adultery. They never stop sinning. And they, they're experts in greed. In other words, their minds are always occupied with, with sexual thoughts. And their eyes are always looking at, with lust at men and women. And all the while they're being greedy. And they're materialistic. And a verse that seems to hone in on this greed of these false teachers is, is verse 15. It says, they have left the straight way. And wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. And you're like, well, what in the world is that talking about? Well, if you go back and read the story of Balaam, it's found in Numbers chapter 22 through 24. You can go back and read that. Uh, I encourage you to do that. And it seems like, and I kind of always thought the same thing as I was reading through this and as I studied it again. It, it seems like the guy's okay. You know, he he's, seems like he's doing a, a good job. He's a prophet, uh, and on the surface, he claims that he's not going to say anything for or against unless God permits it. But he was a cunning, self-seeking man who used his prophetic powers to line his own pockets with money. He was, all in, he was in it for the money. And when God wouldn't let him curse Israel... Because that's what the Moabite, Moabite king wanted him to do. He instead advised the king to get the Moabite women to seduce the Israelite men. If you want to bring a curse on the Israelites, then you know it's through your women seducing the men. And that's going to eventually get the result you're looking for. And so again, Balaam, he doesn't really follow 
through with the, the prophets, the prophetic you know, role that he has. He, he's all about getting money, lying in his pockets, and then he gives advice that is, is terrible advice. And it's the, the advice that these teachers that Peter is writing about, that's exactly what they're doing. They're imitating Balaam both in greed and his enticing people by sensuality. And Peter adds in chapter 2, verse 16, that Balaam was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey. And I don't know if you're remembering the story now. A beast without speech who spoke with a man's voice and restrained the prophet's madness. And Peter, I think, intends to try to, you know, just kind of make light, not necessarily light, but just the ridiculousness of the situation where you have this prophet and you have this donkey that can't talk and so you have this dumb donkey that seems to have more spiritual insight than this greedy prophet did. And when Peter calls him mad, he doesn't mean that he's literally insane. Rather, he means that anyone who's willing to pursue greed and pursue sexual immorality says it's crazy. It's madness. Because the, the only thing that leads to is God's judgment. The only thing that leads to is, is a life separated from God. So after pointing this shocking portrait, painting this shocking, shocking portrait of these false teachers, showing that the false teachers are full of arrogance and they're full of defiance and lust and greed, Peter goes on to reveal their deceptive methods. Again, taking notes, deceptive methods. They have a way of going about tricking people. And they're looking for certain people. They're, it says in verse 14, it says they're looking for those that are unstable. They seduce the unstable. And basically, they prey on the unstable people within the church that haven't really committed their lives to Jesus. They're kind of on the fringes. They're kind of on the surface. They're kind of there showing up. They don't really know if they believe everything that's being taught. They haven't really gone all in. And they have this weak faith. They're trying to have a faith, but it's still very surface level. And Peter's saying that's who they're looking for, the unstable, the ones that aren't really committed yet. And I wonder how many of us might fall into this category of maybe having a weak faith. We don't really want to get into the game. We want to stay on the sidelines of our Christian walk where we kind of look like we're part of the team, but we don't really want to fully commit because it hurts, right? I quit football in eighth grade because it hurt. <laughs> I wasn't the biggest kid. I would rather go play soccer, so I quit football to go play soccer because I didn't really want to get in the game all that bad. And I think as Christians, sometimes we don't really want to get in the game because it, it hurts at times to live out our walk. And so we just stay surface level and we're vulnerable at times to be enticed and led astray. And Peter says in verse 18, For they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. And this is why these false teachers are so terribly dangerous. Because they, they speak well, as if absolutely confident in what they're saying. And, and they're giving you this, this gem of information that you've, you've been missing all your life. And here's the you know, real truth. That, you that they have to give you. And when the faith is weak and the sinful nature is strong, then seducing 
people to falsehood is easy. To, to give them a, a false teaching, people grab a hold of that. Because when I mean, you think about it, a lot of people want the, the, the fact that they can be saved from their sins, but they want to continue to enjoy any sort of sexual immorality that's out there. With, because, you know, it's not hurting anyone. And most people would like to hear that they can follow the loving Christ and, and then still enjoy the desires of their human nature because, after all, God gave them those desires, right? You see, there's this false teaching that's going on, and, and it's not hard to understand why those who are not grounded in the gospel can easily be taken advantage of, taken away from true faith, and given a false faith to stand on. And Peter says that, in that way, they entice those who are barely becoming Christians. And the enticing or temptation is brilliant. And how do they entice them? Well, verse 19 tells us that they promise them freedom. While they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. And if you go back all the way to the beginning, back in Genesis, we find in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, it says, God told Cain, if, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. See, God never intended for us to be mastered by sin. Neither were we meant to be mastered by anything in this world, especially not our own desires. But false teachers promise these unstable and weak people freedom, how they can be, they offer them freedom when they themselves are slaves to depravity, to their own lusts. And in our sinful nature, I think we all want to be free. In fact, I've many times in my own life, I just said, why can't God just make my choices for me? Wouldn't that be so much easier? Like, just do what's right, Charles, and God, you just make me do what's right. And that, that feels like there's some freedom that comes from that. But that's not what God intended for us. And he didn't intend for us to be slaves to sin either. And yet that's what these false teachers are trying to offer. They're, they're trying to offer freedom by saying, don't, don't struggle. Don't try to resist. Just give in to that fleshly nature and, and then you're, you're free. You, you don't, you're, there's no bondage anymore. There's, you don't have to worry about it. And, and that's not what scripture teaches. That's not freedom at all. In fact, it's the exact opposite. Again, it's slavery, slavery to sin, because only true freedom comes through the blood of Jesus Christ, who has set us free. Which brings us back to this verse 1 of chapter 2, where it says, They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. See, Christ is to be our sovereign Lord. When we acknowledge that Jesus bought us with his blood and we die to our old selves in baptism, we become his. 
and we follow his gospel and we deny ourselves anything and everything that is not in agreement with the truth that he laid down for us in his word. And that is what true freedom is. That's what's really going to bring joy and fulfillment in your life. That freedom that Christ gives is the freedom from sin. And the freedom that these people offer is the freedom to sin. See the different words there? From sin versus to sin. God wants to offer you freedom from sin in the world and false teachers. They want to offer you freedom to sin. And there is a difference. Those English words, there's a change in those sentences. And the difference causes false teachers to end up in a pitiful state. And that's the third thing that we see in verse 20 through 22. There's this pitiful state of these false teachers. The weight of the sins of these false teachers has enchained them. They're weighed down by it. They're not willing to repent of it, and they're not allowing God to forgive them of it. They're just holding on to it, and they further go down and down, and they're separated farther and farther away from God. And we read in verse 20 of chapter 2, it says, If they have escaped, talking about the false teachers, the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. And it's interesting that Peter says that they, they had escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They had gotten out of it. Apparently the false teachers that Peter spoke of knew the truth about Jesus and they had even appeared to have known enough to temporarily at least escape from the corruptions of the world Maybe they had been kind of progressing in the right direction. They'd been working on repentance in their life for a while, but eventually they reject it. They turn back to the rebellious ways again, and they end up in even worse spiritual condition than they were before. And it reminds me of a passage from Hebrews 6, verse 4 through 6. Dan uh, mentioned that they had looked at this passage even on Thursday of this past week where Hebrews 6 verses 4 through 6 says, It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age. Again, it says it's impossible if they come into a relationship with God if they fall away, is what the rest of the passage says. If they fall away to be brought back to repentance, it's, it's almost impossible to bring them back to repentance because to their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. And I would encourage you to go home and study through this passage here in Hebrews 6, 4-6. through 6. There's a lot in there. And I, and I don't necessarily have it all figured out, but from what I get from that passage and from the passage that we're in this morning, and the understanding of what the Bible teaches when it comes to free will and choice, I believe that someone who has made a decision to surrender their life to Jesus and has received the gift of the Holy Spirit through baptism still has the choice to reject Jesus and fall away. We still have a choice. 
And there's lots of different opinions and arguments that can come into this. And again, I don't have time this morning to, to dive deep into the, these different ideas and arguments surrounding these passages. But for me, the natural reading, as I just read the natural words here in the English language from Hebrews and the second Peter, is that we always have a choice. And the scary thing is, is that if you make Jesus the Lord of your life, if you, that's what you choose and then you choose for whatever reason to turn your back on him and never repent from that day forward, the state you are in is worse off than before you were saved, it says here in these verses. And it may be worse because if you've ever tried to talk with someone that's, that's made that commitment, that's, that's known the truth, that surrendered their life, and you try to bring them back in, and you're trying to share the truth of God's word with them again, and they just kind of look at you like, yeah, I've already tried that. I've been there, done that. Yeah, I know. I know that's what you guys teach. I know it's what, that's what the Bible says, but I don't, I don't believe that. I don't want anything to do with that. And it's very difficult for someone who's been in and knows and surrendered and tasted the Holy Spirit and experienced that to then completely reject it. It's, it's almost impossible for them to come back. And according to verse 21, here in 2 Peter, it said it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness, not to even have, have known the truth, than to have known it and then to turn their back on it. And I don't want to end up in the same pitiful state that these false teachers are in. And I think that's what Peter's getting at here in these verses. He doesn't want the people that he's talking to to end up in the same pitiful state that these false teachers are in. And so I want to challenge us as a congregation to, to don't give in to even the slightest little bit of validity to the teaching of those who offer you something other than the truth of God's word. If someone is sharing something other than what comes from God's word, don't listen to it. There's no other way than the way God has provided for us through Jesus Christ. Don't look to such teachers for spiritual insight. Don't be drawn to their offers of freedom. Don't listen to their self-help and enlightenment programs. And don't look for any sort of saving grace from those who have knowingly rejected the truth. And so my hope again today is that we know the shocking characteristics, the deceptive methods, and the pitiful state of false teachers so that we can avoid following them in their sins. And so as the praise team comes this morning, the question that I want to offer in closing today is very similar to last week's question. Is Are we living a life of righteousness every day of the week? Or are you a sin-loving poser who pretends to be on the straight and narrow on Sunday mornings, but the rest of the week is on the wide path that's leading to destruction. And my prayer is that we are not a church full of people that just keep returning to their own vomit. Isn't that just a lovely picture there in, in verse 22 of proverb a dog returns to its vomit i'm sure we've all experienced that if you've been around dogs at all it's the most disgusting thing that you would ever experience in right there in front of your eyes type of thing but 
these verses, that's, that's what it's like when we continue to go back to the same sin that God has saved us out of. If you're here this morning and you keep going back to that same sin that's tripped you up, God offers you forgiveness. He, he doesn't offer you the free pass to keep doing it, but he offers you forgiveness. And we're here as a church for you. That's what the church is about, helping one another remain accountable to God and to his word and to lift each other up and to pray for one another and to be there for one another so that we can keep from going back to wallowing in the mud as the last part of verse 22 says, a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. That's, that's not what God wants for us in our lives. And through the Holy Spirit's power, we can encourage and, and help one another to stop going back to that same sin. And the only way that you can really be cleaned up is by accepting God's free gift of grace and forgiveness that he offered through his son Jesus that lived, that died, that was buried and raised three days later to overcome sin and death in order that we might have a way to come back to him. And according to God's word, the way that we receive that free gift, it's not anything that you can do on your own, but as you receive that gift, it's, it's through a belief and a repentance, a confession that Jesus is your Savior, but more importantly, that he is your Lord. And as you die to your old self in the watery graves of baptism, you come up a new creation. You receive the, the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's how you receive this free gift that God is offering you this morning. So we're going to sing a song of invitation, a song of commitment. If you are hearing God's words, his voice in your heart, in your mind this morning, if you want to stop continuing to go back to your vomit, if you want to get cleaned up through the Holy Spirit's power in your life this morning, we'd invite you to come as we sing. Will you stand with us this morning?